We always saw Crosstown as the potential of being a bigger brand than just a donut, donut brand or single product focus. I, I don't think there's a, a culture I identify with when it comes to, to eating. Mm. It's, I love all sorts of food and, and being exposed to it since it's quite early, which mm. is lucky. Always had plans for things and there's always an excuse not to do them. Almost the pandemic removes that excuse. So accelerate a lot of the thinking and ability to, to push through. We've not only just survived as a business or businesses uh, through the last 18 months, but actually thrived, um, which, is, which has been you know, a massive achievement for the team. There's always a nervousness of, of failing or mm. making sure, you know, not succeeding in, in, in that concept or that new product launch or whatever it is. When you remove that, you go, well, we've got nothing to lose, so let's just push on with things. Our eating habits are changing. We're demanding better dining experiences and the food market has never been so competitive. Starting and succeeding with a food business is challenging, but some determined and passionate entrepreneurs are flourishing. These people have big dreams, big passion and big drive. They are disruptors change makers and innovators. They see a positive future. Many say that food business is too risky. Some say that it has huge rewards. Are you up for the challenge? In today's episode, I sat down with JP10 of Crosstown Donuts and more recently Slurp, which is an online ordering platform for restaurants. JP is a super inspiring guy, amazing problem solver, and just sees what's happening in the market and comes up with solutions uh, that have proven so far to be very successful. Um, really enjoyable interview, very insightful, and there's tons of learnings from his journey, his experience, and continued growth in both Crosstown and Slurp. Uh, great guy, I'm sure you'll enjoy this. So sit back, relax, grab a cup of tea, grab a donut, and enjoy. So JP, obviously being a crazy 18 months with pandemic. That's one way of putting it. That. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'd love to start off just with, I guess, how you personally have kind of got through it and survived. And I know you've been busy and there's lots of initiatives that you've done and yeah. very successful, I think, all things considering. And we'll come to that in a bit later in the interview. but. How have you dealt with it and how are you kind of feeling now about the whole thing? Um, I'm pretty tired. Yeah. <laughs> now, I think the, I guess, reflecting on it, and we're obviously still not out of the woods with it, uh, putting my head down and, and achieving some of the things that we always pushed forward in many senses. It was like we all had, always had plans for things and there was always an excuse not to do them. Almost the pandemic removes that excuse. So accelerated a lot of the thinking and ability to, to push through. So I feel like uh, in both businesses, we've, we've like broken down a lot of barriers. Um, and then on a personal front, that means you're sort of always going, always on. Um, I think the, the difficulty has been that you haven't been able to have any sort of transparency as to what the future or what the next week holds even. Um, and that's 
quite taxing, right? You, you're sort of always on the edge as to what's going to happen next week, what's the next bit of news that's going to disrupt things. Um, but I think it also like proving to myself that I'm, you know, I always thought I was, was pretty resilient and I think uh, I've definitely proven that to myself that, uh, yeah, it, it'll take a fair bit to, to shake me. Um, and overall really happy with what we've achieved, to be honest, because okay. I think we've not only just survived as a business or businesses uh, through the last 18 months, but actually thrived, uh, which, is, which has been you know, a massive achievement from the team. Absolutely, very good. And just speaking to some of the guests we've had on, I think it was quite common that they almost went into autopilot, but also that yeah. they, they kind of, I guess they were forced to kind of survive in a sense, yeah. and look at opportunities or pivoting or just finding ways to keep going and to get through it. Yeah, you so don't have an you, option. You, felt, you don't yeah. really have an option. You, you've got to, uh, it's kind of at that moment where you've got, well, look, there's nothing else to lose. Because yeah. it, when you're faced with something so so brutal as forced closures or uh, seeing seeing that revenue sort of drop off because your shops can't open, you're literally at that point where you're like, well, what can we do? Sure. Um, and I remember that that day actually. There, there was a it was a really I mean everyone will say everyone, it was a really bad week, right? When things started to unfold and. I remember talking to Adam, who, who's my business partner uh, at Crosstown, and we were like, you know, it was Adam who said it's like, what about doing this 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 grocery box? And uh, at the time, I was like, well, literally, what else have we got to lose? We've got the supply chain, we've got the infrastructure, like the CPU, we've got logistics, we've got a great brand, we've got the website to push things through. And we came up with this thing called the Crosstown Collective in a matter of like 24 hours and wow. hacked together uh, the offering. And I remember standing on top of a ladder in the bakery trying to take a photo of like fruit and veg and a box of donuts. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, what, <laughs> what is this? And we sort of was like, the price is this. We didn't even really sort of cost it up properly. And, and we just put it online. Uh, it was such as like a knee-jerk reaction, but you know, in a positive way. I think yeah. it was, yeah, and it involved Sean from the State Dairy and, and Marcus from Miller's Bakery and everyone was sort of sat in a room for like half an hour and like, well, what else have we got to lose? So let's give it a shot. Sure. There's no downside in, in not doing this. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's and such it, quick and sharp thinking, I think. But I think the, the mindset of being like, there's nothing to lose, yeah. that really, really comes in a business. Sure. So you're better off just trying something, even if it doesn't work. You're you're, you're yeah. trying different ideas out. Yeah, I, th I think it, as as I think other founders might relate to this is that there's always a nervousness of of failing or mm. making sh you know, not succeeding in, in in that concept or that new product launch or whatever it is. When you remove that, you go, well, we've got nothing to lose, so <laughs> let's just push on with things. Yeah, things can happen really really quickly. Yeah. Um, and, and for us, you know, we, we were very quickly you know, reacted to what was going on mm. and we managed to, to survive through that initial period and keep ourselves busy and the team busy. Uh, it wasn't our plan to become, you know, a mini Ocado, but that's what happened for a few months and, and that was fine, you know, that's, sure. that's what got us through to the next phase. Sure, fantastic. 
So let's go right back to the beginning. So, mm. and I know just from reading up about you in terms of growing up, so born in Edinburgh, moved to Australia. Yep. So I think there's lots of advantages to that in terms of opening your mind up to different cultures and cuisines, businesses, and so on. Um, but tell us about that, I guess, the early stages of, of your life, essentially, and early memories of food or entrepreneurship that, that you can remember. And I guess yeah. the advantages of that, that mixed background as well. Uh, yeah, very diverse background in many senses. My parents uh, were born in Singapore. Uh, they moved over to Edinburgh in Scotland when they were relatively young. Um, they spent about 25 years there. So I was born there um, along with my two elder sisters. Uh, quite, quite a strange bunch we are because you know, my parents, so my dad's got a very neutral accent. My mum's got a Singaporean accent. My elder sister's got an English accent. My second elder sister's got a Scottish accent and I've got an Australian accent. So you get us around the table and we're like the oddest <laughs> family in the world. Yeah. Like, and we all look Chinese. <laughs> so everyone's yeah, like, what is this family? Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, growing up, it, quite a diverse mix of food, right? It's mm. uh, influenced by Southeast Asian cuisine, but also Western cuisine. So. I, I don't think there's a, a culture I identify with when it comes to, to eating. Mm. It's, I love all sorts of food and, and being exposed to it since it's quite early, which mm. is lucky. You know, Singaporean food, Malaysian food, Western cuisine, like this, there's so much flavor and, and diversity there. I think a big thing was sharing, like, okay. you know, particularly in Asian culture, putting food in the middle of the table and then all, all picking at it. That's something that, that I remember from quite an early age of, of always doing. Okay. Um, which is not so, I guess, not so Scottish yeah. <laughs> in many senses. Yeah, um, yeah I did, can't say I, I eat it, uh, too many deep fried Mars bars or anything when I was a kid. Um, yeah. yeah, and then Australia, look, it's, it's, there's some great produce over there because it's got that climate where a lot of uh, things grow there and great seafood as well. Mm. You know, I'm allergic to shellfish, which is a big disadvantage when you're there, but mm. love fish. And, and yeah, again, it's it's got a lot of Asian influence. Mm. Um, it's a lot of great Thai, Vietnamese food in Australia. Uh, so I think there's not really one, yeah, one cuisine that I, I identify with. Sure, it's, sure. It's the fact that there's a global uh, melting pot sure and enjoy all sorts of food exactly but again I think that that open mind and the, the exposure to all of those different things sure it's kind of helped you then in your journey to definitely you know. I think with you know when I when I think about Crosstown and then when we when I had that sort of initial idea I was actually in New York mm -hmm. and it's it was so I moved to London and I've had this strange sort of you know challenge of finding a decent coffee mm. um and you know being an australian you kind of grow up drinking good coffee and it's very accessible and in london it was kind of like you'd look up best flat white in london and it come up with sort of three cafes in soho and you're like there's like 10 million people in this city where why is there such a, a yeah. limited supply of, of specialty coffee shops mm. uh so that was something that was quite interesting that was like yeah, there's a bit of a gap here. Like, sure. surely there's there's someone doing a concept that you can scale. And then when I went to New York, I, I think the pace, the energy, 
the again the diversity of food was so amazing mm. and uh yeah just just exploring that that city and, and being like it's almost like i felt at the time it was like a different level mm. it was just so interesting and mm. everything i wanted to try and it wasn't actually eating donuts that that got me triggered but it was more just like why isn't there something that's um, you know, scaled in London, that's quite sophisticated, really sure. good ingredients. Why isn't someone doing that? And mm. that led to, to, you know, this idea of doing initially a specialty coffee shop that was scaled, but sure. met Adam yeah. and he's like, actually I've got this crazy idea about donuts. Yeah. And then I went into a rabbit hole exploring donuts and eating so many donuts. <laughs> <laughs> Adam went off to the US and to, to try things and I, I sort of yeah, started to build a, okay. the, the concept of, Makes of Crosstown. Makes with and where do you think the, the entrepreneurial spark then came from? Because I know you studied economics and you had a, an early career doing consulting and so on. Yeah. But where did that initial spark come from? Uh, a restlessness and boredom, okay. I have to admit. Um, I, I studied economics and finance and, and did it for five years and came out of that, got a job as an economist and a consultancy and it was 2006 2007 it was okay. just before the financial crisis and i remember you know starting this this job and it was a property consultancy it was very specialist into property economics and having studied for five years you'd hope you know something about what you're doing <laughs> and then obviously the i think it was lehman's brothers crashed and or, you know, went folded and the whole world turned upside down and I was like, what the hell's going on? I don't understand this. Like, I'm a guy that should understand this in yeah. the sector I'm working in. And I was like, I, I actually don't don't know what's going on. I, I don't understand the mechanisms which are triggering all this. Mm. So that was an eye-opening experience. I think it, it was a bit of a reality check as well. Mm. Um, so I managed to, to keep my job. Uh, the team shrunk by about 80% over the three years I was wow. there. So it was a baptism of fire of how to keep your job as, as a graduate yeah. uh, and became quite efficient of things. But I really was quite bored, I'll be honest. And I was relatively good with spreadsheets and numbers, but didn't feel like um, I wanted to do that for the rest of my life. So okay. tried to use the other side of my brain okay. and I always felt I was a bit more creative and really made an active play to okay. do that by you know, picking myself and, and moving up okay. to London. Okay, makes sense. And then, so tell us about the, the origins of Crosstown. So, and you mentioned you, you met Adam and obviously he's experienced in Gourmet Burger Kitchen. Mm -hmm. So a lot of kind of value in terms of that experience and that journey that you could bring to it. But how did you go about kind of putting flesh around that idea and developing that concept? Yeah, it's, I actually wrote the initial business plan um, at a, when I was working at another job um, it, 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 it's really sat with me, this, this whole idea of specialty coffee and not because I'm obsessed with coffee, but you know, I do like enjoying, you know, every day I drink a couple of cups, but it's, it was just the idea of creating a brand that had a certain experience and there's a certain, uh, aesthetic and also a certain offering that I just couldn't find in, in London. And I just really thought there is such a big opportunity for this. So I wrote this business plan, which was probably one of the best things I've ever done because it was just, I immersed myself into what it would be to create this business without actually having to do it. Yeah. 
so I got as far as I could with actually doing it. Okay. This was coffee though, as opposed to donuts. Yeah, right? this okay. was the coffee concept, yeah. and then sent it to, you know, cold called and just sent it to people in the right. sector, and and I was very lucky. It opened up a number of doors because I think that that business plan or pitch deck was was you know really resonated with people so mm. i met some really great people in the sector mm. and what were you looking for when you sent those out was it just advice or investment or it or was a partner or, it was a partner. partner yeah okay. it really was quite specific to a partner and, okay. and that that obviously limits you to to who's willing to do that it's um but you know I, I met Adam and initially I remember I sent, what did I do? I think I sent the business plan and then I think I printed like a coffee cup and put some beans in it and put a tag on it to like the URL of the, the business plan. So cool. I did all this stuff to try and get people's attention. Yeah. And I remember thinking, oh, he remember he emailed me. He was like, he thought I was selling coffee. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> this, hasn't, yeah. this, this hasn't landed. But um, no, he, he got, obviously opened up the documents like, oh, I get it. And we met and yeah, long story short, we got to know each other over the course of six to nine months. And we just got along, right? We, we really sure. um, started to, to understand each other and, and, and build that trust. Sure. And that concept evolved to, to what is Crosstown. Okay. And the name Crosstown actually comes from one of the buses that I saw in New York, the Crosstown bus that just goes around the city and you can jump on it for free. I don't know if it still does that, okay. but I remember thinking that's quite an interesting name and it was inspired by that trip in New York. Very and cool. Yeah, yeah, and it's not something we sort of say publicly, but it's it does have some origins there from, from being Very inspired cool. from that city. Very good. And in terms of um, the partner side of things, so you actively sought out a partner. Mm. Why uh, were you looking for a partner and did you have kind of like criteria that you're looking to uh, kind um, of take off to, in terms of that? Yeah, I think, I, I, and it's still one of the biggest bits of advice I give to people is that if you can partner up with someone mm. who offers something different and um, is someone that you can trust and has the same work ethic, you should really consider it. Okay. Um, I was looking for someone who really had sector expertise. Mm. Like I wasn't kidding myself, right? I'm, I was a kid who grew up in Australia, did economics and finance, worked as an economist, and mm. was trying to start a hospitality concept. Like what sure. credibility did I have there? Sure. Uh, so someone who'd been in the sector, um, ideally in London, who understood uh, all the things that I didn't, um, and someone who, who was more of a foodie as well. Like, let's be honest, I, I wasn't, uh, the guy who was going to create a lot of the flavor profile of, of the concept, but yeah. I could pull together the brand, the business, and, and be very strategic. So that was pretty obvious to me that I needed to, to find someone who could be my counterbalance. Sure. Um, very hard to know what type of person that you, you need, right? Mm. Uh, but it's like a marriage, really. It, like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's more in a marriage, right? Yeah. You, you know, the, there's, it's so. It's it's so important that you pick that right partner. Yeah, and we, it, when I think about it, you know, we're so opposite in so many ways. Um, we're at different stages of our life. Like he, you know, he's got kids. I don't. He's older, a little bit younger. Although I don't feel it anymore. <laughs> um, the it, it works so well because of that. Mm. I think finding someone who's too similar would be the wrong move. Sure. And I think that's why after, you know 
eight years plus. It's still a very, very strong, healthy relationship. Mm. Uh, we lean on each other considerably uh, for different parts of the business. Mm. And, and we know our strengths and weaknesses very well. Sure. And that's allowed us to really grow sure. uh, the businesses and, and thrive. Really. Makes sense. It's fantastic. I guess having that open mind as well and the collaborative approach, approach that you're kind of yeah. recognizing each other's strengths and weaknesses and areas of focus. Definitely. And just working together kind of in collaboration. Yeah, there's no egos, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a shared goal. It's a mm. shared vision. Um, it's... It's, I think it's also really important that the work ethic, you know, we both have a pretty relentless work ethic in mm. making sure that we want to push the boundaries and achieve things. Mm. Uh, and if, you know, again, talking about the last 18 months, without that mindset, we would, wouldn't be here, right? Sure. That, that business would, would be sure. you know, gone. So I think that's been really important to, to making the partnership work and, and for it to for it to be healthy to be honest sure. makes sense okay so let's talk about the product then mm -hmm. and i think it's fair to say it was quite unusual and i mean in a good <laughs> yeah. way when, when you started and you could say disruptive or yeah um, changing the sector in a sense so the obviously the donor sourdough based mm -hmm. and then you use um interesting ingredients some seasonal ingredients and interesting combinations how first of all or why did you decide to take that approach and then how did you develop the product yeah, sure. I think the if you look at the sort of back of the napkin business plan, if you had to summarize it, it was you know, brilliant produce, fresh product. Can you sell a box of donuts for thirty-five quid? You know, <laughs> it was it was that sort of premium element. Is the market ready for something like that? Mm. Um, we saw a lot of benefit of creating a product that was, of course, delicious, right? It looked beautiful, but could be really utilized in different moments. Mm. I think that was really important for us is that you as an individual could go in, get a coffee and donut, sit there, enjoy it, great. Five, 10 minute experience. You could also get a box for the office, someone's birthday, make a bit of hype, brilliant. Could use it for catering an event. You know, so there was a lot of ways that we could see the product working. Mm. Um, so when, it, when we sort of thought about it, it was like, if we're going to be a premium product, it's got to be fresh. Mm. It's got to be handmade. It's got to be unique. <clears throat> so the ingredient has always been, you know, what's the best produce we can get. Mm. The bakery operates every single night of the year. So from sort of 7 p.m. onwards to the early hours of the morning, the product is being made and then it's distributed from our bakery in Battersea to all the different locations. Uh, so having that quality first mindset it's mm. sort of shaped the operations in many ways mm. uh look it's it's we're a scratch bakery so uh, things are done very manually in many yeah. senses uh which is harder in many senses but mm. i think um it's really resonated with customers like okay. they really understand and they can taste the difference yeah uh so when it comes to flavor development i think using the seasonal produce so if it's it's summer what are the fruits that are available for going into to winter? What are the, the flavor profiles of, of Christmas? It's ginger, it's spices, etc. Uh, playing to the seasons has always been a big element. Mm. Um, and also, you know, we, we've sort of, not out again out of design, but just something that we've, we've continually done is all the different celebratory moments, uh, national days, for example, like mm. 
uh, Independence Day, uh, Waitangi Day, which is New Zealand's national day, or Australia Day, and coming up with flavor profiles that are a bit more fun uh, that that people can resonate with with their identity yeah. has been really popular. Okay. So it's not not just the traditional Valentine's Day and yeah. things. It's it's finding these moments that are unique to us. Sure. Uh, and that's kept it really interesting. So every month there's new flavors that come okay. out. Uh, and often there's there's tears from people who are going, I can't believe you get rid of that flavor. And <laughs> like, we've got it. We can't sell yeah, that yeah. many. We can't keep a line off of hundreds of flavors. Like yeah. we've, we've got to keep it quite It makes sense. It kind of keeps it interesting and keeps people yeah. wanting to come back to find out what's new and what's upcoming and so on. Yeah, and, and the whole sourdough, you know, base was really, you know, and I won't credit myself for that. That that's Adam and the guys, and and it was about how do we create a you know, a dough that's got texture, it's got yeah. a strong crumb. Um, we didn't want to create something that was almost like light and airy and would disintegrate in your mouth, which was quite the standard for mm. for you know, the mass market. Mm. It's like we want people to actually hit taste it and uh, yeah worked started working on this sourdough hybrid and yeah it took a long time but got there in the end and okay. it's become our usp now right okay very good and i guess there's a balance to an extent because first of all you still need to do volume obviously mm. so it's still relatively mass market because it's relatively low selling price mm. i know it's premium in donut world but still volume is important yeah. so that level of innovation in terms of ingredients and flavor profiles and combinations um i guess is important because you don't want to intimidate people yeah or make it too wild and wacky that people just don't want to risk that and, and purchase that so is that something you consciously think about when you're Definitely. developing recipes? Yeah. I, th I think when you design a flavor uh, you know you've got to think about how many steps there are to it okay right so if you're making something with a compote filling um a glaze a crumble an extra topping and then finishing it with a hand piped cross. Yeah. We got to think about that as how many sets of hands does that go through to get out the door and sure. is it worth doing that step and, mm. and creating that extra, you know, level. Uh, and when you're doing thousands of units um, a day of that flavor and you've got to make sure you design it right. You're mm. not over engineering it for the sake of over engineering it. Sure. Uh, that's definitely something we consider all the time. and. You're right, like we, we've gone too far on some flavors okay. that are getting too sophisticated yeah. uh, for the palate and it's it's ultimately a donut, right? Sure. It's gotta be delicious, tasty, and you gotta wanna take another bite and finish it off. Like that's, it's a great vehicle for flavor. Yeah, You can go in so many different directions. Sure. It's almost making sure you focus in on, you're not going too wild on it. Sure, sure. People still love the classics, right, vanilla chocolate cinnamon yeah. like those those flavors will never go out of fashion sure sure very good very good it sounds like you've got a great balance between those kind of staples like the chocolate yeah and so we on. we call them you know internally there's the classic flavors ah. which are ones that are very rarely shifted from the menu yeah like you you can't take away a chocolate truffle ring like, yeah I mean, it'd, be, it'd be madness <laughs> yeah and then you've got the ones that are more seasonal that you play around with and sure. then the special days which come and go quite quickly sure okay makes sense and you mentioned then you started in the market i think it was letter lane you started initially in 2014 mm. um i guess it was for testing and validating at a low cost but what specifically did you learn from that experience um yeah it was it wasn't really planned what happened was i can't remember who it was someone told me that the camden council 
was looking, for, had some some market stalls, um, and you could apply. So we did so, and then we got a pitch, and we're like, okay, we've got to make <laughs> some do do now? <laughs> <laughs> We've got to get ready for a launch, and yeah. we were renting. Uh, I think there was a catering company, and it was uh, had a spot between. 11 p.m. and 8 a.m. Okay. So we could lit, sublease the, the bakery in the middle of the night. Okay. And we took that. So we started experimenting and creating it, um, the donuts then. Uh, I guess the learnings from Leather Lane, it's hard when you think back to it, it's so long ago, but you know, we, we obviously had a first lineup of flavors mm. and a lot of those flavors still exist, but in a different form now. Okay. So you're, you're testing the market as to mm. what works, can you stop traffic? I'll never forget the first customer um, who was cycling past on a fixie and then looked over and, you know, user's feet screeched, stopped, oh, wow. stopped, looked, and then just came over and went, I'll have four, one, two, three, four. Wow. And said we're on to something now yeah i was like okay that's good we stopped traffic yeah. <laughs> <laughs> truly like that was that was Amazing. the first good sign um but yeah of course you get a lot wrong you, you sure uh but i think what we did do very well was we pulled together the brand and um we weren't just a, a tent hmm. on a street going yeah come try this we that concept of crosstown the branding still exists today like hmm. the same elements there's there's not much that's changed yeah uh, I think pulling that whole experience together was really important. And it's almost a framework that you created. Yeah, it's all those, those little touches. Like we, I remember we were the first um, on the street to like accept card. Wow. Like we were just, we, you know, we're very, very innovative in that sense. And we, we wanted to reduce all the barriers to, to people trying the product. Sure. So, um, yeah, people come up and buy a donut and be like, yeah, just tap your, your card. And they're like, whoa. You know. Okay. So I used to carrying cash at the time. Okay. Very good. Yeah. So th then off the back of the success of that, obviously you saw some growth potential in it. Mm. I know you took a pop-up in Piccadilly Circus in the station. Yeah. Uh, how that, did you get that site first of all? Uh, <laughs> this is quite prime. There was a few, I think there was a few steps before that. Like we, we managed to, um, I think it was before we managed to get into Selfridges. Uh -huh. Okay. Um, we we got on the radar of a few people quite early on. Um, maybe it was a bit of luck or, or right time, right place, right. But a few people saw us in Leather Lane. Okay. And a lot of wholesale inquiries just started to happen, and it was really interesting because you know the cross town business plan didn't really mention wholesale in a meaningful way. It was mm. like it could be an option, but mm. we're not going to actively go after it. In, in the space of the first sort of six, 12 months of us operating, we're predominantly a wholesale business because we, we hadn't had that first shop. Yeah. We're still a market stall. We're still thinking about setting up that CPU and all the infrastructure. And then we got these inquiries from Selfridges and all these great independent coffee shops. And wow. we ended up you know, having to buy a few vans and recruit logistics drivers and almost start distributing our product Okay. Uh, to to get the name out there. Sure. It was a way of us sort of getting Crosstown out there uh, without having our first shop yet. Um, and we were looking for that first shop. The opportunity for, for Piccadilly Circus came up. Um, 
it was a six month pop-up from memory and the idea was really to try and pair donuts with drinks so bringing together that specialty coffee and 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 you know sweet treat element could we stop traffic again the same principle yeah we thought if you could do it in piccadilly circus it's a very busy station yeah um people are sort of wanting to get out the door you know if we could do that then we were onto something and it was really successful okay fantastic and, uh, so. and just going back to <clears throat> excuse me just going back to getting recognized so looking back now do you put that down to kind of the, the online brand and social media or the products or even adam's background kind of i think it's it's definitely the product and the brand um like you know it's it's not the adam and jp show like it's nothing okay. to do with us we feel crosstown stands up in its own right and you know we're, we're out there saying that it's it's jp and adam's donuts it's it's not that it's it's crosstown so i think the effort we put into creating um a really unique product mm. but was still very accessible the fact that the brand was different but an interesting um, and quite sophisticated you know, purposely we made things black and white to be quite neutral sure we found that a lot of the sweet treat market was dominated by pinks and purples and is extremely you know feminine mm. and we're like why is that the case like does it have to be that way no let, let's let's rip up that rule book and, and mm. go a different direction and I think that really resonated with with people and like we're 50 percent females 50 percent males buy the product it's, it's very split okay but i think the the brand is quite um masculine in a way and and uh, quite sleek sure and i think that's really been a, an important part okay. of maintaining that okay and helping you stand out from the crowd as well, as well. yeah it's weird yeah. isn't it black and white standing out in the crowd yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, exactly. it's really not but yeah. in in this sector i think it does yeah. sure okay makes sense so then you obviously had a, a solid foundation and something that clearly had potential to grow and you've done phenomenally well over the last few years. How has that growth journey been? I know you have a diverse kind of uh, uh, kind of selection of revenue streams and so on, mm. but how has that journey of growth been over the last few years? I guess um, COVID aside. COVID aside, <laughs> I think we always saw Crosstown um, as the potential of being a bigger brand than just a donut, mm. donut brand or single product focus. And we always had desires to, to go into other sweet treats, uh, you know, cookies, ice cream um, uh, are two obvious ones and uh, soon to be chocolate as well. So making that leap from just donuts to, to other, other you know, sweet treat elements was, was, was one. I think also the, the leap from being uh, you know, what we call an original sourdough donut to vegan sourdough mm. that was a leap as well and, and that was really dictated by our customers if you would go into say our brick lane shop and you're sitting there with your friend and you're vegan and you're watching your friend eat a chocolate mm. donut you're like that's not fair I mm. want to eat that as well so sure. we got told you know constantly it's like hey when are you releasing a, a vegan line so we started working on a vegan sourdough which again was huge innovation and, and, and trialing and erroring and mm. it's it's amazing because that makes up at least half of our product line now wow and it doesn't matter whether you've got a vegan diet or not if you want to try that donut 
it's going to be as delicious as, as what the original are. So setting that standard really high again sure. uh, has been really important. And we ended up opening up a vegan shop in, in Marlebone, mm. uh, opposite Selfridges. So there's been that aspect of you've got a plan, but you've got to deviate from the different uh, movements that are happening in food. I wouldn't, you know, veganism is not a trend, it's, it's, a, it's a movement. Mm. Uh, and we've got to make sure we adapt to that. So things like that, the new product uh, line extension, and then the big one is, is as you said, having multiple channels mm. or being omni-channel. Mm. I feel very strongly about this, that that's the major change the, the sector, the hospitality sector is mm. facing. Uh, and it's been completely accelerated by the pandemic about not being reliant on just one channel yeah. and having that diversification. Sure. Uh, Crosstown's been very lucky that it's had that mindset. So whether it's own retail, wholesale, online orders, mm. uh, catering. It's, it's had those strings to its bow. Mm. So it's been able to, to navigate uh, you know, the toughest time um, by being able to, to fill the different channels. You know, shops go to zero, but online came up. Sure. Uh, and that's been really important too. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it, mm. it's, it's essential these days. One single revenue stream, but the way the world is changing so quickly, uh, it's too fragile, essentially. Yeah, and we we've been at the forefront of that. Uh, like, you know, we we were always so uh, progressive as a brand, like being that first market stall to take card payments, being one of the first shops to go cashless, uh, being one of the first brands that could do on-demand delivery direct from our website. Mm. Like that's. That innovation's really kept us on our toes, but at mm. the forefront. And now what we're seeing is, you know, people want to engage with Crosstown. Mm. They want that Crosstown experience. And I think as an operator, the product, the brand, and the customer, the most important parts, mm. you don't want to meet, disimmediate yourself from that customer. Mm. You need to make sure you're engaged with them, whether it's in premise or through online. Sure. And that's something that's happening now in the sector where people are realizing actually having a digital channel and you know, having a website that does something more than just allowing you to you know, look at some pictures sure. is really important. Mm. So how do you actually engage with the customer? How do you allow them to transact yeah. um, and buy from you? And how do you start thinking about what you sell online, sure. which could be very different to in-premise? Sure. The sector is going through this shift now where it's traditionally sat with, say, marketing or even ops, and now they're starting to, to hire digital teams. Mm. That's a huge shift that's mm. happening, and I'm really excited by that yeah. for, for uh, what that opens up. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I completely agree again. I think it, it's led by the brand almost. So if you focus on building the brand, and it is consistent and I guess broad enough to give you the flexibility to have those diverse streams, mm. then you almost leverage that and you can create different revenue streams across merchandise, online, physical, uh, whatever it may be, books. But it's, as soon as you have that brand or as long as you have that brand, it just sets you up then to, to um, leverage that essentially. Yeah, definitely. I, th I think there's, there's lots of um, levers you can pull mm. uh, once you've had that that core establishment. Sure. Uh, yeah, it's taken a long time though. Like Crosstown's, you know, coming up to eight years old. 
uh, it doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. It's it's something you've got to keep working on and building on and maintaining that quality level, right? It's mm. got to start with the product. Mm. Uh, and that's something that we, we always remind ourselves that we've got to maintain that level. Okay. And in terms of then the growth plan, in terms of like, do you have a, a vision that you're working towards or like a very structured plan that you're kind of taking step hard, by step? Hard to or? be structured after okay. the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, they, like they, I think we accelerated a lot of our plans um, going back to that point about uh, if we've got nothing to lose that that led us to doing ice cream doing cookies uh, really pushing the online offering like we, we ship nationwide now I remember so many times going okay I've got to work on the packaging for how we ship a really delicate product with the glaze and it lands into Edinburgh and it's completely fine when they open up the box and mm. it's got to be there in 24 hours because it's a fresh product and always going too hard basket <laughs> I'm not going to deal with that today <laughs> okay. but when when we had you know when during the pandemic we we're like we've got to face up to it let's do it yeah. and it was amazing to to sort out that packaging do the test runs and being like yeah this actually works we can get this product pre next sure next day pre midday it looks perfect we've worked on the packaging to get that point let's let's give it a shot yeah that you know that acceleration of thinking has really helped us i think now looking forward it's Know, what what can we do outside of London? Mm. We've been very London-based. We're opening up a shop in Cambridge. There are other territories we're looking at. You know, Manchester, Bristol, Brighton, Bath, Oxford. The obvious places where we can see Crosstown existing sure. with a physical premise. Uh, we think we can keep pushing the online offering. We've started to build menus for online that are very different to in-premise. I mean, gifting is a huge element of, of what we do as well. So. That will continually just evolve. Okay. I think. I think the the other aspect is we do feel like the Crosstown brand is strong enough now that we could exist in CPG, so consumer packaged goods, okay. and we think chocolate is an obvious stepping stone for us. So okay. stay tuned because that's something that we're working on and been working on for over a year now. Okay. And we hope to to get that launched. Um, okay. In the coming. Very good coming year or so. Interesting. It sounds like you're really adopting to the current market and kind of the circumstances yeah. around that. And I guess now moving to your other business, Slurp, <laughs> yeah. is probably a good example of that. Yeah. So tell us about that. How did that come about? Like where did the idea come from? And then sure. how did you get that off the ground? Uh, the idea was really about solving a problem. Mm. And it was solving Crosstown's problem really, which was we, we created this brand. We were getting a lot of momentum we felt like we had a great organic following from social and, and people landing on our website uh, but we were very limited to how we could transact with them online you know we were crosstown was very early adopter of, of marketplaces so that being deliveroo and, and uber eats uh, but we wanted to have that direct uh, interaction and direct relationship with customers and I went down a rabbit hole basically of learning about e-commerce and trying to find a solution that would fit what Crosstown would need, which was dealing with multiple sites, you know, the complexity that different sites would have different menus, the different opening times, and I wanted to do on-demand delivery, I wanted to do pre-orders, and I literally just couldn't find a platform mm -hmm. that would suit the needs of what we needed. Uh, so ended up, you know, it's a long story, but 
the short version is I ended, we ended up building um, that platform. And I thought at the time, it was like, if we want this as a brand, and I believe that consumers are going to buy online. That was kind of my thesis. It was mm. like, I think if I crystal ball gaze in five to 10 years time, people are going to be ordering on their phone. Mm. You know, this was back in 2015. So we're at that point now, five to 10 years time. Mm. And of course, it's, it's, it's huge online ordering and, and using devices to buy things is, mm. is part of our life now. So I felt that actually enabling brands to offer that through their own means and not rely on a marketplace was really important to being omnichannel sure. and being diversified. And the way that I sort of try and distill that is that if you're Nike, you don't push people to Amazon to mm. buy your products, right? It's very similar in food where if you're a brand or a concept or a restaurant, you shouldn't be pushing to a, yourself to a marketplace to, to attract customers. You should be converting them yourself. So we went on this journey of creating um, Slurp, um, S-L-E-R-P, which was about helping businesses sell more through online channels, but also manage processes better. Mm. Uh, so there's, there's kind of two prongs to the business. One's e-commerce and online ordering, which is quite self-explanatory. The other one's about sort of production scheduling and order management and solving another problem where take Crosstown, we've got shops, markets, online orders, wholesale accounts. How many donuts do we need to produce? It became really difficult to answer quite a simple question and we we're using you know, Microsoft Excel to try and figure this out. And it was like, this is crazy. Like we're doing a lot of things to manually to try and work this stuff out. So that bit of software helps you know, create automated production schedules and packing slips and things. And mm. the combination of that was really solving a pain point, mm. I feel, for the sector. And we we worked really long and hard to build out that technology before launching it at the end of 2019. So it was about three years of development wow. before we launched. And very quickly, of course, the p pandemic hit and the world changed. And good timing. Slurp became really, really relevant. Yeah. It became on everyone's radar. And it's, I'm very proud of the fact that it's helped hundreds of brands sure. um, survive and, and really open them up to uh, having a digital channel sure. and engaging with their customers online. Makes sense. Seems to be quite consistent in your approach that you see problems very clearly and then you find a solution to kind of fill that gap. I think I see problems and get frustrated. Okay, first. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, I, I, I like... I do like to make things efficient and mm. I felt this was a bigger problem than just a crosstown problem. Mm. And that's why we you know, incorporated a separate company and have raised from investors. Um, you know, I, I'm now full-time CEO of, of Slurp and very recently transitioned out of that sort of co-CEO role with Adam and mm. leaving Adam to take the reins um, of, of crosstown in many senses. but. They're so joined at the hip in many senses, these companies, because you know, even the offices are above one another. Sure. Uh, might have separate shareholders and, and, and have separate teams, but there's so much learning that we can take you know, from being an operator and translating that to a technical tool that can sure. solve problems. Sure. And we have that sort of saying, 
made by operators for operators because okay. we are operators, right? Yeah. And I think that that's been really important to the success Makes sense. Of, of, of Slurp. Sure. I think there could be massive value, maybe even more than Crosstown, that I technology think, and data. And, yeah, and so technology is a completely different game. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, what's a donut guy running a tech company? That's, <laughs> that's <laughs> It's quite an odd mix, but I think um, it suits my personality as well and, and mm. the way that I think. So yeah, like it's it's a different challenge for me personally. Sure. Uh, but I am enjoying uh, solving a problem, and I think there's there's a lot of potential for where Slope can go, and it's very early in the piece. Sure. Uh, so lots of opportunity, but equally so much opportunity still for Crosstown. I still believe Absolutely. fully in that brand, and mm. um, I'm looking forward to to growing both businesses. Okay. Okay, and you mentioned your roles and kind of your shift of roles with yeah. yourself and Adam. Um, I guess from early days where naturally you're super hands-on, standing <laughs> at the everything. market stall, <laughs> developing a brand yourself, literally. Yeah. How has that journey been like from that point through the growth and getting the infrastructure and people um, throughout the organization and now with Slurp as well? How have you found that whole journey? <sighs> it's pretty challenging. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's continuous change. Mm. It's you've got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, I think at the start, yeah, you're a jack of all trades, right? You do everything. You you're a logistics driver. You're a market stall operator. You're a guy developing the brand. You're producing donuts. You're doing whatever you need to do just to get off the ground. Um, and as you scale, you obviously need to put people in place who you need to trust and empower. Mm. And I think both of me and Adam's style is to be quite empowering or very empowering to be honest and give a lot of rope. I think that's been really important to our success because okay. you can't do everything. You know, you're so obvious, I mean, staying the obvious here, but mm. you can't control everything. Sure. And so it's letting go. Yeah, letting go in a controlled manner mm. and making sure that there's the, the systems and processes in place so that it doesn't all crumble sure. in many senses. I think, the biggest learning for me uh, personally has been the management of people. Mm. I think, you know, Crosstown's got 100 and lost count, 100 something over staff, and, and Slurp itself has got 50, 60 staff. Mm. It's a lot of people to manage. You've got to make sure that you, you're giving, you know, how are you making sure that those people are passionate about what they do? How do you make sure that they want to get up each morning and, and, and make a difference to that company? Sure. How do you keep them happy? Um, and, and that's, I'll be honest, it's completely evolving as we speak. Like the idea of flexible working and mm. all the different things that you need to offer up. Uh, we all just have to pick up the news each day and see what big company is offering a week off for mental health mm. or will let you work overseas a month each year or it's work from home and these are all the perks and we've got to adapt even as SMEs we've got to make sure we listen to the market listen to our staff and, and making sure that we you know we're not stuck in our ways and that that continue continuous change with people is something that I find you know um, definitely a challenge like sure. you've got to make sure that you you're on top of it sure uh, and that's not really to do with the strategy of growing a business right that's Ooh. very much about 
managing the you know the brain power and, and the, the people in there to to make things happen absolutely and like you said it's constant like it's never yeah, ending it so, it's, yeah. so how do you deal with that like personally oh you trying to sleep you know really? <laughs> okay <laughs> no and okay I, I think i said it before you, you've got to empower yeah. the the senior management the middle management sure you've got to make sure you're you're continually giving context and communicating yeah. uh Again, another learning is making sure that you don't have too many side conversations at a leadership level and not transfer that knowledge down to everyone. Sure. They, they all want to understand what's going on. And it's, it's something we're still learning to do is being transparent about, hey, this is what we're doing. This is what we're thinking. Yeah, we do want to open up outside London. Mm. Think about setting up processes so we can do that. Like what needs to change in the way we do things? Mm. It's for you to, to try and implement, not us. Sure. Uh, we can't be the only ones driving uh, that change. Sure. What do you think it is um, that is driving you as a person and keeping you going throughout kind of ups and downs and the roller coaster of entrepreneurialism? Um, is it something that you're kind of aiming towards, or is it like a mission, or, or or what? I think it's. I think what you aim towards constantly evolves. Mm. I think you know when when we started. Like take Slurp. When I started it, it was. I've got a real big problem um, that I want to solve for at Crosstown and I believe it's got application to other businesses. Mm. That then changed to, you know, I want to provide a great opportunity for staff to thrive in a startup mm. and, and solve a big problem to how do we take this business international? Like there are steps along the way and I don't think there's one specific thing each time that so one overarching thing that uh, is stuck in my mind. It 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 continually changes. Okay. Some people will be different, right? Some are always going to be driven by like this huge mission. I think we've been quite flexible as to how that mission or how, how that vision changes. Sure. But s still with a common thread, right? Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't know, you know, what what keeps driving me. I think I like to see change, positive change, yeah. um, innovation. I still see huge amount of potential. I think that's where um, it's a it's a fundamental fact is that I think there's more that a crosstown brand and a slope brand or slope business can mm. achieve, and I'm not comfortable with where it's at right okay. now. Like it, it, it's it's not at its end of its life, you know. It's it's at sure. the start. Yeah, sure, makes sense. And in terms of keeping up with the market and staying ahead. Mm. Uh, I guess you're continually doing a lot of research around the world and staying on top of what's happening in terms of like the, in the broadest terms, in terms of the market, in terms of the yeah. world politics and so on. Is that something that's very important, do you think? I, I'm just naturally interested in what's going on. I'll be honest, okay. I'm quite curious. And the, the digitalization of hospitality is such an interesting topic. Mm. And the trends that you were seeing in, around the world, I just read about it because I'm curious about it. Okay. Um, so that that's it's an easy part for me because I like to see what's going on sure. and I enjoy um, that aspect. And I think we are creating something that's very new as well. So that's exciting, right? That's mm. um, we're almost carving our own path. Uh, we're not really following um, anyone else's rule book. Mm. Uh, I think there's a lot of directions that it's still not set in stone where things can go for both businesses and that's interesting uh, as long as we keep 
certain elements right, product quality, brand sure. recognition, all that stuff. Sure. Things things will continue to grow. Okay, in makes a positive sense. way. Makes sense. And in terms of your digital strategy then, and yeah. social media in particular, you did phenomenally well, over hundred thousand on Instagram. How do you approach that, and how do you kind of continue to attract people? And just those being platforms? authentic. You okay. know, we we we're very lucky that it's resonated with um, a lot of you know they're called influencers now, right, or, or celebrities. Uh, people who have just organically purchased our product mm. and got a kick out of it and, and posted things. We've never done paid influencer or we don't have an agency that works for us. It's just been that, hey, this is a really interesting product. It tastes delicious, let's share it. Sure. So it's been it's been very real, like that following a very loyal. Um, and same with our email database. Uh, I feel like um, there's a really strong connection uh, that people have with the brand if they if they like it. So a lot of repeat purchases, mm. a lot of people coming back, okay. um, whether it's online or, or in shop. And there isn't any silver bullet to it, right? It's just been, let's keep the flavors, you know, flavor development really interesting, keep the mm. quality up, keep the brand relevant, do some cool collaborations. So for example, we did a beer with mm. Beaver Town and yeah, it was 12%, so it was four standard units in one, one can, nice. so pretty punchy. benefits. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was an interesting sort of flavor development one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's keeping it interesting. Sure, uh, constantly innovating. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Okay. exactly. Makes sense. So I guess with a crystal ball out, yeah. first of all, how do you see the market now kind of coming out of COVID, hopefully, and then going forward over the next few years? Do you kind of have a vision there for what's going to happen? Or Yeah, I, th I think, it's been massively disruptive, obviously stating the obvious, but yeah. I think there's some been challenges that the sector faces with whether it's supply chain or staffing. Mm. Of course, it will eventually sort itself out. Um, I think the brands that will thrive or the businesses that will thrive will be the ones that have that omni-channel approach. Okay. The ones that really start to invest into how they engage with the customer online and who are gonna build teams around that and not just throw it over to the ops person, the front of house person, or the, the marketing team who haven't had that clear focus of digital. Um, mm. I think those those businesses who do that okay. are gonna be really well placed. Makes sense. And in terms of people, you mentioned they're obviously a major issue currently. Yeah. Uh, probably gonna last for the foreseeable future, at least to some extent anyway. Yeah. How do you see that panning out? Do you think technology, maybe automation is gonna come in Definitely. to support it? You do, okay. Technology, you know, we Slurp has an order at table function mm. where it allows you to, to order on your phone and, and pay, you know, and it'll go straight to the kitchen or uh, the bar. That sort of innovation is, is already out there. Sure. And it will help with, without doubt, deal with the capacity constraints of, of, of staffing. Sure. And, you know, a lot of the feedback or that stats show that actually that the average orders through people ordering themselves goes up. Mm. So the shared incentive to go, you don't need as many staff. You can mm. actually rely on the individual to place an order and it's gonna be a higher basket value. Sure, that's it's a win-win. Really. I mean, yeah, when, when you're sort of faced with new stats like that coming out, it yeah. really becomes, why aren't you adopting it? Do Absolutely. you not want to increase your spend, mm. turn the table quicker? and reduce the overheads. <laughs> There's no reason not to. Really. <laughs> if you don't want to do that, then okay, 
what are the reasons why how do you overcome that mentally sure sure absolutely and then where do you see slurp and crosstown then let's say three to five years that's a long period uh, <laughs> i'm gonna be six, very six old by then <laughs> um i think crosstown it's next year i'd like to see us opening up more shops outside of london sort mm -hmm. of get back on that that uh trail of opening okay. is that uh, an organic growth or franchising or that'd be organic, organic okay. i think it's it's still uh, a business that we want to own and operate um i think uh yeah some of those areas like i said like uh, manchester you know brighton bath bristol oxford be nice to to knock some of them on the head sure. next year uh i think in terms of you know what we're going to do at Crosstown, other than what we're doing now chocolate will be the big one the, mm. the big the big push uh rest of the stuff will just try and keep the quality high right and, and keep doing what we're doing okay slurp it's going to be about you know really innovating still making sure we build out those digital tools to suit all the different businesses and if all goes well we will hopefully launch into a new market geographically uh tech's a bit more scalable in that mm. sense mm. Uh, but really, at the moment, it's about focusing on building the team. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Getting the foundations strong. Yeah. To grow. It's okay. a very early stage business sure. still. Very exciting. Sounds yeah. amazing. Great. Yeah, definitely. Very good. So, um, I'd like to finish off just in terms of uh, advice for somebody maybe watching this and maybe they have an idea brewing and they're looking to launch something. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Um, yeah. You mentioned, uh, obviously, partner. For sure, yeah, very, very important. But any other kind of critical critical elements to focus on, you would say? Um, yeah, partner is, is the one that I, I really think is so important because it's, it's tough mm -hmm. and you need to be able to lean on people that you can sure. trust and depend on. Um, I think going into it with, when you do a business plan, you get stuck in your way of this is what I have to execute. Sure. You've got to be able to deviate. You've got to be able to think, accept the fact that it's not going to follow that business plan. Because mm. one thing we do know, the business plan will not eventuate. That's sure. a fact for everyone. Sure. And the example of being, you know, doing that cross-line business plan, not having really wholesale mentioned, and then being a wholesaler in the first year, yeah. that's a great example, right? You've got to be able to, to adapt. adapt. Yeah. yeah, I think, so that, accepting the fact that your business plan is, is going to deviate, and, and going with that. Um, I think the other one that, that people often overlook as well is make sure that your concept is not too niche. And a lot of people have come to me with very specific um, ideas and my always, you know, always the response has been, how many people actually want that product? Mm. And you get quite a lot of people coming up with, I'd call them, um, fusion hybrid concepts like i want to do is making this up right a sushi burrito mm. i'm like okay have you ever met anyone who wants that product what's sure. made you think of that is there a market there for it exactly yeah. and and that often is a question that people don't ask themselves to sure. the level that they need to absolutely uh and i think that's where often concepts fall down so okay yeah they're, they're i know they're kind of broad stroke Con, um, thinkings, but yeah. I, I think good they're, advice they're, for sure. They're important, and yeah. and they're having that omni-channel approach. <laughs> I'm going to bang on about it. Absolutely, but it's yeah. really, really important for sure. For sure, very good. Final question: 
What is your favorite Crosstown Donut? Ah, right. I think um, I'm thinking of the one that I actually uh, ate yesterday, which is okay. not out yet. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's still in product development, but we're, we're making a really nice spiced gingerbread one for Christmas. Sounds good. So that, that's at the forefront because I had it okay. yesterday. But um, in terms of the ones that I, I always go to, it's really hard to go past the vegan chocolate truffle. Really? Okay. It's just banging. It's so good. Yeah. And if you like chocolate, it's, you know, it ticks all the boxes. Sure. Um, and with the, but the one that I used to eat sort of religiously is, is when I used to do the, the deliveries to all the wholesale accounts at like 3 a.m. in the morning, I'd have a fresh uh, scroll. And the scroll is, it's a really interesting story for us because when you, when you roll out the dough and you, you cut it and you make the rings, you obviously left over with, with the, the, the scraps. Yeah, yeah the yeah. holes and the scraps. Yeah. And we actually just roll that up uh-huh. and then make the, the cinnamon scrolls. Uh-huh. So we use the wastage to, to make that. And that's Amazing. now become one of the best sellers. And Amazing. having that fresh, you know, each morning is, is a great breakfast. Very good. So, yeah. Excellent. And they do classic flavors, right? So. Okay, yeah. I think it's donut time. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> fantastic. Well, great to meet you, JP. That's a fantastic story. And Thank you very much. Very best me. in the future. Cheers. Yeah. Thank you. Great. Cheers, mate. Awesome. Thanks so much.